Welcome to the Flannery Podcast. This is our 23rd episode. The issue, Trump's Ministry of Deception. Stay tuned. Georgia Congressman John Lewis died and was honored for his efforts to work for equality and dignity for all. And he prepared a few words to be circulated at this funeral, his funeral. And they were spoken on that day by a friend and actor, Morgan Freeman. John Lewis's first thought was to thank we the people who followed his example and who came from diverse directions and backgrounds to say we care, that black lives matter, and we must end systemic racism, particularly among the police. These are John's words by his friend Morgan. That in the last days and hours of my life, you inspired me. You filled me with hope about the next chapter of the great American story when you used your power to make a difference in our society. Millions of people motivated simply by human compassion laid down the burdens of division. Around the country and the world, you set aside race, class, age, language, and nationality to demand respect for human dignity. John Lewis said Emmett Till was his George Floyd. John was 15, a year younger, when Till was killed. He feared how a simple stroll for some Skittles as a kid could turn into a nightmare like anything that happened to Emmett Till. He fought not to be afraid, to be equal and free. As an adult representative in Congress from Georgia, Trump was never presidential in Lewis's eyes. I've always thought of Trump as his accidency. Lewis believed in good trouble, objecting to what was wrong. Representative Schiff told the Republicans in the Senate impeachment trial why they were about to fail their oath of office if they didn't convict and remove Trump from office. Schiff asked rhetorically how much damage Trump could do in America if he wasn't removed, even though the election was only months away. And he answered that question. Now you may be asking, how much damage can he really do in the next several months until the election? A lot. A lot of damage. A lot of damage, a lot of damage, and those words have come true. We could begin with Trump's efforts to suppress the equality and freedom that John Lewis celebrated. Trump sought to suppress the protests that Lewis praised in his last written words. Trump and his mouthpiece bar directed their troops to clear peaceful protesters from Lafayette Park in front of the White House for a political photo op. Trump holding a Bible. What a joke. Trump sent anonymous camo-covered troops in combat attire and military weapons to quiet protesters in Portland. Trump is now sending them elsewhere, though they are uninvited and unwanted and provocative wherever they go. Trump has ignored the pandemic, still mostly acting like it's a hoax, as if it were the common cold. Trump ignored and disregarded reports telling him the pandemic was coming. He could have made a difference. He didn't, but he wanted everyone to go to work. Safety be damned, believing that was how he'd win re-election. He would somehow or other keep the economy going. Trump has preferred dumb and bizarre fixes, unproven to be effective, indeed proven to be dangerous to the heart in the case of one. Could it be that he wants citizens to die? That certainly is the effect. Trump has proven himself a wall in the war against the pandemic. Dumb governors followed Trump's lead and opened early, and we are talking about having children attend school. 
The reopening prompted a surge in infections, the reopening of businesses, and then there were hospitalizations, and now we're up to a thousand deaths a day. John Hopkins reports today, as I'm speaking this podcast, that there have been 4.6 million COVID-19 infections and 155,000 deaths. Still, Trump would send children to school to risk infection and to carry it home, possibly to infect parents, family, and friends. Too many want what was before the infection. They want normalization as it was. But that's not the answer. We don't have that. We can't have that. And if we keep ignoring the consequences of our actions, it'll only take longer. Trump believes with a laser focus that if he can get people to work, then he may get reelected because of a vibrant economy. He's living in another world, a delusional world. Trump has insisted our economy was stronger than ever in recent weeks. But we have the data, and it's been falling like a stone in historic GDP losses. The people are smarter than Trump's poor leadership. They're trying to avoid the risk of infection and death. How could our economy take any other turn but down when Trump has done little or nothing to curb the pandemic? We could have had legislation in May 2020 to help Americans. Trump's tool on the Hill, Moscow Mitch, said the Democratic bill was dead on arrival in the Senate in May. And so now he's scrambling because the Republicans in his caucus are concerned about re-election and they know they have to do something and they don't want to do something. One third of their caucus doesn't want to do anything at all. Now, after the deadlines have run, they're still talking. The White House and Trump are scrambling like they care to help the unemployed and the almost homeless. Trump has failed to engage in good faith to get unemployment compensation to persons who may not have a job because of the closing of many small and larger businesses. Trump has failed to engage in good faith to prevent persons from being evicted. Imagine how crushing to have no job, to have expenses for food and medicine, a family to protect, and on top of that, to worry you'll not have a place to live. Trump and the Republicans think $600 a week for unemployed is too much and figure they should get by on $200 a week. Only the rich. Sooner a camel will go through the eye of a needle. There's no end to the Marie Antoinette feel of this, like the Republicans are saying the modern equivalent of let them eat cake. The arrogance is without end. In recent days, Trump has asked the leader of another nation state for a favor, like what he did with Ukraine, this time from the president of Brazil, asking that he modify import barriers to ethanol from Iowa in order to help him in that state's presidential voting this November. Trump apparently believes that he is losing this election. After all, he lost the popular vote in the last election. And this year, the polls have him losing battleground states that he won in the last election that got him victory in the Electoral College. That's not looking so good for him right now. I read a poll in Texas that had Trump down by two points. Hard to believe that will hold, but it is something to watch. It's amazing to see it all. We all know there's time and events that can occur between now and November 3rd. So Trump looks for methods to flatten the vote, if not the pandemic curve. Among other controversial devices, he says perhaps we should delay the vote. The Constitution says otherwise. The day is set and both houses of Congress would need to agree to any change of the date of the election. And the House is not going to do that. It would be a surefire cause of chaos were anyone to act seriously upon this grab for power this idea published by the orange menace, Trump. 
Trump has nevertheless created a fear among voters that mail-in ballots can't be fair when plainly they are. Trump has attacked the existence of the Postal Service. Since he can't zero out the Postal Service, can't eliminate it from the budget, he seeks to suppress the vote another way and has put another of his million-dollar donor lackeys in the job of Postmaster General to cut back on the service that the Post Office is charged to supply. We have a long history of the postal slogan that neither rain nor hail nor sleet nor snow may impede a postal carrier in his service to the public. But Trump, now that's a different story. He would stop it dead in its tracks. Having had Russia interfere in the last election, we can assume more of the same in this election. But Trump is wielding the power of the government unjustly as well to secure his reelection. Neither Trump nor A.G. Barr will assure the nation that they'll respect the results of balloting on November the 3rd. We the people are, however, pushing back, showing by our numbers protests will continue, driving Trump's stormtroopers out of Portland, though they may find themselves traveling to other places to confound protest elsewhere in their stormtrooper garb and perhaps to assault protesters and ghost them away without real suspicion or probable cause in dark vans. Trump's form of fascist domestic rendition. We the people are acting smarter than our leaders by staying at home or at a distance, wearing masks, avoiding crowds, cleaning hands to protect us when Trump cares not to stem the virus at all. We the people are learning in advance how Trump hopes to interfere in the election and are and will develop methods to get this election done right despite Trump's efforts to get it wrong, to steal it. There's been some discussion how Trump has been able to convince so many to follow his lead of lies and incompetent recommendations. I thought we should spend a few minutes to unpack what Trump is doing so we're in a better position to combat his propaganda in social media or broader venues. Stay tuned. Eric Hoffer was a self-educated observer of mass movements. In his book, The True Believer, he wrote, to ripen a person for self-sacrifice, he must be stripped of his individual identity and distinctness. The most drastic way to achieve this end, Eric wrote, is by the complete assimilation of the individual into a collective body. The fully assimilated individual does not see himself and others as human beings. When a trumpeteer is absorbed into the movement, Trump tells them to ignore the media and not to believe even what their senses tell them. Just stick with us. Don't believe the crap you see from these people, the fake news. And just remember, what you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening. Some might think this phenomenon, that is the Trump follower, is simply the most recent example of anti-intellectualism. Arthur Schlesinger made the observation when Eisenhower was elected that his administration followed upon 20 years of democratic rule during which the intellectual had been both understood and respected. But with Eisenhower, business had come back into power, bringing with it, in Arthur's words, the vulgarization which has been the almost invariable consequence of business supremacy. With Eisenhower, there was a new disrespect for research, the exaltation of Eisenhower's fondness for Western fiction and the agreement that an intellectual was a wordy and pretentious man. 
Many of the targets of McCarthyism were intellectuals. The cure or remediation of the intellectual came with Sputnik. That's right, the satellite that went around the Earth. The national distaste for intellect appeared then to be a hazard to survival. We had to compete, and we couldn't compete out of ignorance. We needed intellectual activity. So it can be said that we have cyclical fluctuations on how we deal with intellect. Plainly, we are in a period now when many discount science and logic and clear thinking, though I would submit there are more of us who think than those who don't. And that will help at the polls. It might be more appropriate to think of this as Richard Hofstadter did as anti-rationalist. By the critics of intellect, those who are charged with being intellectual are said not to think at all. True, it would seem the other way around. But there's a distressing comfort of the anti-intellectuals with irreconcilable contradictory positions. The fair question is, how does one become such a believer as to be anti-rationalist or anti-intellectual and to be dominated by a leader like this lackluster Trump? I think it's a mistake to say Trump and his irrational following are just conspiracists, although a lot of people define them that way and reject them because of it. But there's a whole system at work here. Uh, the conspiracists are a subset of this phenomenon. It comes from a propagandist who told the world what and why and how he was doing it. Trump reportedly studied his speeches, and we see the similarity in techniques that should concern us, and we should use this knowledge to combat propaganda. Of course, I'm referring to a 1990 Vanity Fair article in which Ivana Trump told her lawyer, Michael Kennedy, that Trump kept a book of Hitler's speeches titled My New Order in a cabinet near his bed. When Trump was asked years ago about whether he did this, he reportedly said, who told you that? Trump reportedly said, it was my friend Marty Davis from Paramount who gave me a copy of Mein Kampf and, and he's a Jew. Davis is not a Jew, but did give him a book, but it was not Mein Kampf, it was what Ivana recalled. So perhaps he read Mein Kampf as well. Winston Churchill read Hitler's Mein Kampf and for six years made rants that this tome was a blueprint for what Hitler planned to do. Winston met a wall of appeasement, prompting him to charge that the government of Great Britain had, quote, decided only to be undecided, resolved to be irresolute, adamant for drift, solid for fluidity, all-powerful to be impotent. Hitler asserted as a fundamental principle, quote, the iron law of nature, which compels the various species to keep within the definite limits of their own life forms when propagating and multiplying their kind. This is the Ubermensch. This is the white supremacist. This is the Aryan man or woman. Hitler cared not at all for the fact that, quote, a person acquires civic rights by being born within the frontiers of a state the child of a Negro who once lived in one of the German protectorates and now takes up his residence in German automatically becomes a German citizen in the eyes of the world. In the same way, the child of any Jew, Pole, African, or Asian may automatically become a German citizen. Close quotes. He referred to these as poisonous matter. See any similarities with Trump? Hitler anticipated he'd use the techniques of propaganda that had worked for him so far. Propaganda, Hitler wrote, quote, should go well ahead of organization and gather together the human material for the latter to work up. Next up, 
Hitler said, <clears throat> when the ideas have gradually won over a number of people, this human material should be carefully sifted for the purpose of selecting those who have ability and leadership and putting that ability to the test. Hitler sought the person who was, quote, more of an agitator, a truth that will not be readily accepted by many of those who deal with problems from the scientific standpoint, close quote. An objective of Hitler's technique is, quote, to disrupt the existing order of things and thus make room for the penetration of the new teaching which it represents. The more radical and exciting my propaganda was, said Hitler, the more did it frighten weak and wavering characters away, thus preventing them from entering the first nucleus of our organization. Thus, only men of radical views were disposed to become members. In the section on stormtroopers, Hitler dictated that, quote, a movement which must fight against the absurdity of parliamentary institutions must be immune from this sort of thing. Hitler was clear that, quote, the muscular force must be employed to support this propaganda, close quote. Quote, a movement which is meant to win over the hearts of the people must be ready to defend itself with its own forces against terrorist attempts on the part of the adversaries so that elements of disturbance can be treated as isolated criminals instead of being considered as the champions of an idea which is diametrically opposed to official opinions, like, say, claims of systemic racism. Makes you wonder if we could rifle A.G. Barr's desk and we'd find a dog-eared copy of Mein Kampf. Trump appears to be employing Hitler's methods, but his objective is not always evident, unless it's perhaps personal. Stay tuned. The drugs. Chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine have not been proven to treat COVID-19. Most of us have heard this and know this and believe this. Yet Trump continuously pushes their use, says he used it with no adverse effects. Of course, we don't assume he did use it, not at all. It's hard to believe anything he says, so we start at that point. There have been stories that Rudy has a $2 million stake in hydroxychloroquine manufactured by Novartis. No proof that's true, but in 2006, Rudy got a $60,000 speaking fee from Novartis. It's reported that Trump has some small financial interest as well, but we don't know what that is, if true. What's the alternative explanation? That Trump wants to put people at risk? It's, is it some for, form of loyalty test, like in Simon Says? It's not beyond the ken that Trump is just flat incompetent, as well as Rudy, as well as Trump's son. Or perhaps it's just a placeholder, a bigger story to cover up for a worse story, like we've lost more GDP in the last quarter than any time in history. And the president, supporting a doctor who's way out there, will get more time on the news than the story about a failing economy. But consider how it plays out. Trump claimed that hydroxychloroquine works in the early stages based on what Dr. Stella Emanuel said about the drug. Listen. It was a, a woman who was spectacular in her statements about it, uh, that she's had tremendous success with it. And they took her, they took her voice off. I don't know why they took her off, but they took her off. Maybe they had a good reason, maybe they didn't, I don't know. Dr. Emanuel, by the way, believes in demon sperm and alien DNA and witches. No! 
When we consult, however, with an infectious disease doctor, Dr. Fauci knows what he's talking about. He says there's no proof it helps at all and can have an adverse effect on the person's heart. Is that you look at the scientific data and the evidence and the scientific data, the cumulative data on, on trials, clinical trials that were valid, namely clinical trials that were randomized and controlled in the proper way. All of those trials show consistently that hydroxychloroquine is not effective in the treatment of coronavirus disease or COVID-19. What does the public do with this kind of information? Who does the public believe? I say they believe Dr. Fauci with rare occasion of others believing other things because we see them about us. I would say that uh, this was an ineffective example of propaganda, even as a device to cover up bad news. Let's turn to the economy next. Trump only a few weeks ago touted the economy as the strongest ever, roaring back. And he made a long statement that really didn't make sense. It was more like a word salad, like he does from time to time. And then he says it takes talent to do what he's accomplished. Listen to Trump. His announcement proves that our economy is roaring back. It's coming back extremely strong. We have some areas where we're putting out the flames or the fires, and that's working out well. We're working very closely with governors, and I think it's working out very well. I think you'll see that shortly. Of course, that didn't match up with what uh, Bloomberg reported only days ago. Gross domestic product from April to June plunged 32.9%, the biggest drop in activity that the U.S. economy has ever seen. Speaker Pelosi gave her assessment of Trump's read on our economy. He is like the man who refuses to ask for directions. That's right. He's like a man who doesn't ask for directions. Is it any wonder that this propaganda is having him drop in the polls? Perhaps it is that we have so many sources of information. Though Trump has the platform that he does, we are all finding out what the truth is anyhow, and we know Trump to be the buffoon that he is, with rare exception. Of course, what he's doing with the post office is dangerous to the security of balloting in the upcoming election. It is Trump's efforts to destroy or diminish the post office to compromise the delivery of mail and ballots. It is Trump's efforts to destroy or diminish the post office to compromise the delivery of mail and ballots. First, Trump wanted to get rid of the post office. He called it a joke. The Postal Service is a joke. Trump hates that there is any economic advantage to Jeff Bezos of Amazon using the mails. But Trump couldn't cut off the funds to the post office. But the post office does need some emergency funding from the bill that's gathering dust on the hill. Trump has launched an attack on mail-in ballots that is unsupported by the facts. He calls them a disaster. You're sending out hundreds of millions of universal mail-in ballots. Hundreds of millions. Where are they going? Who are they being sent to? Unfortunately, some may be listening. Trump keeps banging away at this Trump. Others are preparing to resist Trump's attack on Election Day to mail-in ballots. Plainly, he believes more will vote who are too anxious about the virus to appear in person to vote. As part of his campaign to cut off the legs of the post office, Trump put in place 
Louis DeJoy as the Postmaster General to force the service to come up short in its service to the public. Trump announced DeJoy's nomination on May the 7th, and Congressman Jerry Connolly said DeJoy's role as a Republican donor and political operative would threaten the nonpartisan nature of the post office. Did I mention that DeJoy of having Lewis withers when you know he is the first postmaster in 20 years who has no prior experience in the U.S. Postal Service? Did I mention that he has some serious conflicts of interest, what else in the Trump administration, as he has an interest in UPS and the trucking company J.B. Hunt? DeJoy is taking what he describes as cost-cutting steps that appear to have led to slower and less reliable deliveries. DeJoy is no longer paying overtime to complete the day's mailing. This is a very clear attack intended to suppress voting on Election Day. During Lewis's funeral, former President Barack Obama attacked Trump, not by name, but for his attack on how we vote this presidential election year. to discourage people from voting by closing polling locations and targeting minorities and students with restrictive ID laws and attacking our voting rights with surgical precision, even undermining the Postal Service in the run-up to an election. Democrats have proposed a $25 billion infusion for the Postal Service. Trump calls this a rigged election, and Trump is trying to make that a reality. Stay tuned. Our nation is at risk by the efforts of the wannabe dictator in the West Wing, Trump, who disregards the Constitution and the laws and doesn't care to do what is right. Representative Schiff, during the impeachment proceeding, described what it meant to do what's right and why it's necessary. Colonel Vindman said, here right matters. Here right matters. Well, let me tell you something. If right doesn't matter, if right doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how good the Constitution is. It doesn't matter how brilliant the framers were. It doesn't matter how good or bad our advocacy in this trial is. It doesn't matter how well written the oath of impartiality is. If right doesn't matter, we're lost. If the truth doesn't matter, we're lost. Framers couldn't protect us from ourselves if right and truth don't matter. In Congressman Lewis's final words, written, read at his funeral by Morgan Freeman, he lays out what's before us to restore the republic in these final days as we approach the election on November the 3rd. Ordinary people with extraordinary vision can redeem the soul of America by getting in what I call good trouble necessary trouble. Voting and participating in the democratic process are key. 
The vote is the most powerful nonviolent change agent you have in a democratic society. You must use it because it is not guaranteed. You can lose it. You must also study and learn the lessons of history because humanity has been involved in this soul-wrenching existential struggle for a very long time. People on every continent have stood in your shoes through decades and centuries before you. The truth does not change. And that is why the answers worked out long ago can help you find solutions to the challenges of our time. Continue to build union between movements stretching across the globe because we must put away our willingness to profit from the exploitation of others. Though I may not be here with you, I urge you to answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. In my life, I have done all I can to demonstrate that the way of peace, the way of love and nonviolence is the more excellent way. Now it is your turn to let freedom ring. When historians pick up their pens to write the story of the 21st century, let them say that it was your generation who laid down the heavy burdens of hate at last, and that peace finally triumphed over violence, aggression, and war. So I say to you, walk with the wind, brothers and sisters, and let the spirit of peace and the power of everlasting love be your guide. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. Thanks for listening. If you haven't, please subscribe. And we'll see you next week. All the best and be safe.